and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe that allows us to draw more power out of them and we need that power. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and I'm very excited to have with me today. Uh, I, this is going to be a little bit of a different experience for us. I have a special guest with us, Rabbi Joe Charnas, uh, who is a, a practicing uh, Jewish rabbi. Uh, who also specializes in interfaith relations and has spent uh, some time at BYU before and has been uh, at BYU and in Salt Lake and in different places recently. He's been doing podcasts with Church News and and uh, BYU and other places, meeting all sorts of people. And, and he has his wonderful daughter, Yael, with him, who is just a delightful uh, and wonderful young lady. Um, and so we are excited to go through Colossians with Rabbi Charnas. Welcome, Rabbi. Hello. Hello, Professor. Thank you. Thank you. Well, tell us uh, what else we should know about yourself. I have a wonderful daughter. That's yes, pretty you much do. all you need to know. And my wife, who unfortunately couldn't make it with us for this trip, Sarah, she is a chaplain and rabbi in the Air Force. And she'll be retiring at the end of the year. So we look forward to that. Uh, well, wonderful. We're sorry she can't make it, but we're grateful for her service. Thank you. She'll be here hopefully in April. Wonderful. Really, the I've been going through Come Follow Me since it began. And it's been a, a very enlightening experience because very often we understand the other not from the other. We learn about the other through our own tradition or through another tradition. And most people know about LDS thought from Protestant or Catholic theologians, their own mm. pastor or priests. And very often they don't fully understand the beauty or just the basics of what you actually believe. And so I've learned over the years in life to go to the source to find out are people really as strange as they're being described, or are they just <laughs> not being fully understood? So I'm I'm grateful that I have gone through these studies with your community, and I've learned a tremendous amount, and I'm looking forward to going through Colossians with you today, or a portion of it, whatever we get through. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that uh, in a moment, but thank you. I appreciate that. We've we've had some uh, great dialogues, and, and uh, so have some of my colleagues, and uh, it is uh, wonderful to to be with someone who is passionate about their own beliefs, but also passionate about understanding um, what other people believe really from their point of view. And, and I've been grateful for that uh, feeling from you. And uh, I'm, I've, I've just, I'm impressed with the, uh, the intellectual honesty and integrity and zeal with which you approach understanding other people's beliefs and views. Maybe we could stay with that for a moment. Sure. Because, very often we don't study the other through the other, through a genuine, right. honest representative of the other. And I've always wondered why, and I've, I've thought over the years why. And in the last month, I've been asked a question that really actually gave me the answer, I think, or at least part of the answer, which was someone asked me, when you study other faiths, have you ever been drawn into an aspect or a dimension or a philosophical aspect of their faith that really moved you and almost wanted you to to walk along that path 
And my honest answer was, over time, not in the beginning, but over time, yes. In the beginning, when I began studying, I'm human, I would read a different opinion or a different approach to the sacred. And I would see that as, no, well, that's not what my faith says. And I would be rationalizing or debating the mm. text rather than seeking to understand it. And over the years, I learned that there is probably more than one way into the heart of the divine. Yeah. And so I began to study it without my, as I can't remember which general authority said it, I'm sorry, but during general conference, he said, we need less judgment and more love. And forgive me for not remembering his saying, but look it up. It was a beautiful, beautiful insight that I wish I had learned many, many years ago. And I wish I would have started years ago just reading out of love another testament of wisdom that is describing the divine. And we often don't do it because I think we may fear potentially being drawn away or drawn into another. And it's a very delicate balance. How do you deeply, deeply immerse yourself in something other without being drawn into it? And can does it necessarily mean you're going to be uprooted? No. Is it a potential? Yes, because the beauty of wisdom draws and calls if you're open. So I am honored to be here in dialogue with you on this. And my hope is always that I feel drawn because if I'm not drawn, it means we're not touching the heart of wisdom. Uh, and if I'm if I am drawn, it means I'm seeking and encountering something very deep. And that's where I want to be. And I don't care about the ism ultimately. I care about the source behind that ism. So that's just something I, I wanted to when you when you mentioned that when you're in your intro, I study other faiths. I try to study from within and I'm looking to be drawn deeper within. So uh, I look forward to today again. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And maybe I could also just comment on that a little bit. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. And I think there's something innate in humans, probably a, a, a defensive or protective mechanism that makes us uh, automatically defensive against and worry of something that is different than us. Right. And, and I get that because uh, in ancient times, different likely was it going to attack you, right? <laughs> or something along those lines. Uh, and so we have that worrying us. But if we are willing to learn, uh, I, I cannot agree more with what you said, uh, that there's there's more than one way of worshiping. None of us are worshiping God perfectly. No, no one is. And no one is coming to God perfectly. And so the more facets of the diamond that we can learn from, the the, the diamond of coming to God, mm -hmm. the more we can learn from others about how to come to him and worship him and approach him and be more like him, the better. And so I'll, I'll just say some of my own experiences. I, from uh, whether it be experiences uh, at the Western Wall or uh, going to some of my Jewish friends' houses on Sabbath, I feel there is so much I can learn from my Jewish friends about how to really love God and worship God on the Sabbath. There's just, I am a better worshiper of God for having learned from them. And I'm not as good yet as I could be by continuing to learn. And, and I'll say similarly, some of my uh, things that when I was younger put me off about going to some Catholic sites, uh, especially in the Holy Land. 
now draw me in as I have learned to appreciate the devotion and worship when they're kneeling down and touching a stone and so on, which to begin with seemed weird to me. And now I feel their devotion uh, and there's something in there for me to learn. So those are just two examples, I think, of, of what you're talking about that I hope we uh, don't say, OK, that's going to take me someplace where instead we say, uh, how can what can I learn from that about my own approach to God? So thank you for that. No, and and you're that's uh, beautiful, and it's not as common as I wish it were would be. I mean, it would be better for sure. Yeah. But I've been deepened, like you have, by my explorations into the other wisdom traditions, and I'm a better person as a result. And you can ask my family. Sometimes <laughs> need that other light shining to help us see our own, and it doesn't necessarily uproot. It can deepen our own root in the process. Good. Very good. That's exactly right. Uh, and sometimes uh, uprooting a little bit is a part of oh, deepening yeah. roots. Yeah. So so amen to that. And, and along those lines, then, I thought we'd spend the first few minutes. Uh, this will air about a week after conferences ended, but uh, we're recording this just a few days after general conferences ended. And so uh, I, I know you listened to part of... Uh, or maybe all of conference, I don't know. So uh, I, if you're willing to share, I'd love to hear some of your impressions of uh, an LDS uh, general conference. Yeah, I, I actually was blessed. I'm embarrassed to say I was at every session. And... All right. So at as an in in-person or? Yes. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. I wouldn't be embarrassed. That's a wonderful thing. Well, I'm embarrassed because I was, it's a, uh... It's a real gift, and I know that not everybody has that opportunity. And I was lucky; I was truly lucky and blessed. And did you have go to with rein you? me in on ah, well. the general conference because this this will take up a lot. Speaking of learning from the other, uh, my I I am so amazed, and I leave with greater amazement, and so does my daughter when when general conference ends and we leave utah it doesn't fade it only grows it only blossoms and i guess if i were to just highlight one or two well i already highlighted one and i wish i could remember the elder's name about judging less and loving more mm. because if if we don't have that nothing else matters nothing else matters that's the ultimate end right there in a nutshell. So my hope is always that I can leave with, with several foundational pillars that will help me ground and root and blossom in life more fully. And there was a beautiful teaching by Elder Robert M. Darns, Danes, Danes, I always say Darn, mm -hmm. Danes, Robert M. Danes. And he spoke on the spiritual face blindness he talked about face yes. blindness, but then spiritual face blindness which that was powerful that was his brilliant insight or development of face blindness and if it was i i bow to that wisdom that is so profound but he was speaking there of something that we all suffer from not not just people who have a, like Judaism is a very form-based religion. It's an observance-based religion with commandment and 
people often, I think, unfortunately view Judaism simply as a religion of action without soul. But there's deep soul within the commandment or in the observance. There's also a danger. And Elder Danes spoke of seeing rules, but not the face of the Father. And it's that's fairly close to what he said. Again, I'm not, I can't remember the exact verbiage, but the idea was the rules are often a barrier. They're supposed to be a means that help connect us with the intimacy of the divine. But sometimes rules are the end and we don't see the face of the father, which is the ultimate idea. Metaphorically, we're having that divine intimacy, that divine encounter. And, right. and he went on to speak of worshiping our father, not a formula. And I thought, my God, how often is my ritual, my prayer, my practice formulaic rather than in the presence and service of the Father. I thought that was such a beautiful, beautiful insight because we often all, whether we are a more ritually oriented community or a more spirit-led community, we can all turn something holy into something formulaic. And that is the yeah. tragedy of being human. Mm -hmm. We can turn something sacred and holy and inspiring into a simple formula that we recite or that we live in the form of a ritual. And it doesn't bring that hope and that light and that spirit that it's supposed to bring. So that was a beautiful, I think, discussion, a part of his discussion on, on spiritual face blindness, where we're not having the experience. We're experiencing a God of rules, as he also said, but not a God who loves. It was He was a highlight. Elder Danes was a highlight yeah. of, of, of insight into how we can engage through a practice intimately with the Father, not with formulas that leave us empty. So that, that was one uh, beautiful teaching that that I, I'm so grateful that I was there to hear and I plan to read again so I can have when it's published. Yeah. So I can learn more and reflect more and, and be deepened more. And hopefully the to play off the word formula, hope to, the idea of form. Hopefully right. I can use the form of a Jewish practice to encounter the formless one above and within. Yeah. That's so well said. And I, I think you're right. We have a tendency. Repetition is a powerful tool, but it also has a tendency to take the, the holy and make it mundane, uh, make it just regular and, and almost uh, tedious. And, uh, and that does make us face blind when we allow that to happen. That, that face blind metaphor was powerful. Uh, yeah. It really struck me. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if the, the saints or the scholars or the elders or the presidency in any way have discussion about what they're going to speak on beforehand or everybody is independent. I simply don't know. 
Yeah, they they are independent. They usually will send it around and get feedback from other people. But ah, they okay. they it, on rare occasion there will be an assigned topic where someone will say we really need to address this. But that usually happens in other forums, and in this one, it's usually up to the individual to to be inspired as to what they should talk about. Um, but I, I believe all of them uh, pass their remarks around and say what what am I not saying correctly? Okay. What you know, and get feedback from each other. President Nelson is actually notorious for giving the most uh, and has been for his entire career as an apostle the most uh, detailed kind of feedback. He really is a wordsmith, and he gets into all of this kind of thing. But yeah, well, then maybe the connections that I I try to see between their speeches thematically. Maybe there is some awareness of the other so that there is overlap or development. Yeah. And, and it may be a connection coming from on high. As correct. they all seek for direction, they, they may get similar directions. 100%. And the elder, is it elder Joaquin? Joaquin, I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm not Costa? sure either. Well, elder Costa, uh -huh. he spoke of covenants it's a similar yeah. idea here that we had with elder danes he spoke of covenants aren't simply a transaction right but covenants are meant to be transformational it's not a transaction it's a transformation and so often our whole spiritual lives or many aspects of our spiritual lives are simply something we do it's a transaction but there wasn't that transformation that ideally is always behind every covenantal encounter but often it's left simply as it was a transaction like at the bank but i wasn't transformed and and it's such a broad broad way of understanding the sacred in its beauty and in its humanity and this isn't a criticism of humanity in any way our humanity is blessed with the sacred and also with the human right and it's a it's it's a byproduct of being human that we often default into a transaction in all areas of life or into a formula so what's what's beautiful is that we can grow out of it with reminders if we're willing to hear and that's what I think these two, those were two very important themes that I think overlapped as ways of reminding us that we have a father. We have a father that is there to help us transform and grow, not simply by a formulaic transaction. So that's the, the gift, if we're willing to hear, it's in no way condemning. It's an, we have to understand our limitations before we can grow beyond them and grow yes. out of them and deepen ourselves and to become who of and become more of who we are. So though those were two, as you can see, I that, that that's always my focus actually in the sacred, is how can we go beyond what it says and grow into what it means? And I find myself hearing this afresh, these two great voices of Elder Costa and Elder Danes, because even though I try to be more aware of it, my awareness of the potential intimacy can become formulaic and transactional. It's always there, but it's always also a potential to move beyond. 
and to go within more deeply and encounter the essence or the soul or the source of all of existence. It is always there and always waiting and always awaiting our turn towards that beautiful, beautiful God that we all share. Wow. That's, uh, that's beautifully said. I appreciate that. And you'd probably be interested to know, my, my uh, audience I think will know this, but you'd be interested to know that President Nelson has spoken about the covenant and the transformational power of the covenant probably more than any any leader of the church mm -hmm. since Joseph Smith a tremendous amount and it's gotten all of us very that that theme uh, you probably heard lots of talks about the covenant in general yes. conference and that's partially because they're following the prophet's lead in addressing that theme which I, I have as well two of the books you can see behind me are are uh, two books that I've written on the covenant uh, and helping trying to help us. So that's, that's a very common theme among members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints right now, because our, our prophet has made it a common theme for us. So yeah, yeah as, as a, a covenant keeper, I think you'd be interested in that. So, well, you know, I have to say president Nelson, I know you have many prophets as Life doesn't exist for eternity, and eventually yeah. all, all good things come to an end. But I don't know any of the other, I don't know President Nelson either, but I've seen President Nelson speak. I haven't seen the other prophets. Right. And I'm sure this is true for all the leaders of your church and the presidents or the prophets. But he has a uniquely a uniquely blessed spiritual vision and insight that yeah. you're blessed with and it is a gift and I'm, he is remarkable okay well thank you that uh, i'm sure all the rest were remarkable too yes yeah but he but, has but, every every time you know at different times in life we need different wisdoms and different approaches and different lights yeah and he is a light that we need today we really do and i i agree i very much agree well, do you have any more thoughts from General Conference you'd like to share, or should we jump into Colossians? Which would you prefer? Well, why don't we jump into, I have more thoughts. Right. Yeah, why I know you have a lot of thoughts. Colossians. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And, and maybe we'll do that in a, a couple of ways. Uh, if it's all right with you, I'll just give a little background on the epistle. Um, okay. And uh, I suspect that we won't cover the entire epistle. So I might just kind of give kind of an overview as well of some of the prominent yeah. themes Perfect. and then uh, introduce uh, a little bit of the way we might approach this. So uh, Colossians is uh, by many thought to be the first epistle that Paul wrote while he's in prison at Rome and by, by probably even more, a few more think it might be the second or somewhere around there. Maybe Ephesians was written first and maybe it's uh, second, but it's one of his earlier apostles once he's been in prison or, or epistles, once he's been in prison in Rome. So uh, if my audience can remember the story in Acts when he's in prison in Caesarea, well, he's arrested in Jerusalem in prison in Caesarea and appeals to Caesar. And then he's taken to Rome and imprisoned and he's there for a long time and has a, a certain amount of freedom while he's in there and lots of visitors. Um, and one of those visitors is uh, a, a fellow who has come from Colossae. So uh, Paul himself never preached there. He preached in some of the towns not that far away, but he didn't preach there. But while he was in Ephesus, um, Ephratus came to him and uh, was converted by him. Well, he came to Ephesus and was converted by him and then went back to his hometown 
uh, Colossae, and he started to preach there. This is at least it seems to be the case. We don't have this detailed out. This is just putting pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, but it seems to be the case that he was converted and went back to his hometown and converted a great number of people there. And then he eventually came to visit Paul in Rome with some concerns about what was going on with the saints there and also giving a report of how wonderful they were in, in most respects. And Paul re responds by writing this letter to these uh, saints where he extols uh, how wonderful they are and then tries to address a couple of the concerns, um, which largely focus around uh, something that I think is common in our our world and in our church today. They largely focus around the notion that there are all sorts of ideas floating around out there, uh, and they are seem to be trying to mix the uh, all of the ideas together into one and and kind of somehow absorb them into their new Christian belief. Uh, so there there are some ideas about. Uh, the nature of God and, and resurrection and not wanting to have a physical body and physical bodies are being bad that are getting mixed in. There are some ideas about keeping the law of Moses that are getting mixed in and all sorts of other things. And Paul uh, just kind of addresses this and tries to throughout the entire epistle, he tries to tell them uh, you've been, you know, Christ died. And in that way, all of the worldly things uh, should die in you. And as Christ came back to life, your new life, should include just following Christ and not mixing in all these worldly ideas. Uh, so that's a really, really brief synopsis of what he teaches. But I do think it's very, very applicable because I think we struggle with that today uh, where we are taking all, I mean, we hear so many ideas around us. I just heard a statistic that I, I don't know how someone would prove that it's true or not, but uh, the person who did it, uh, it said it had done a lot of research uh, said that today in, a, in an average day, uh, someone in our uh, American culture will encounter as much as many bits of information in one day as someone 700 years ago would have encountered in their life, the average person. Um, uh, we certainly are encountering a lot of bits of information, and it's hard not to absorb lots of that, whether that information is true or or helpful or not. So that's a brief synopsis. Um, and then maybe I can just introduce how we're going to do this. Uh, and this is part of why I'm so excited that uh, that uh, Rabbi Joe was willing to to do this with us, because one of the things that I love is th the way that my my Jewish brothers study. Uh, the, my audience has heard the way for the year and a half we've been doing this podcast, the way that Latter-day Saints study for the most part. Uh, and we all study in different ways, but we, we you know, we, we have different ways of doing it. But one thing that I love is to sit down uh, with my Jewish friends. And uh, sometimes you may spend, as you're getting into a text, you may spend the first hour on the first few words of that text. And uh, you, you may not get very far. Uh, you may cover, uh, well, I don't know that, that if we did it that way, that given if we did an hour of study a day, uh, you and I together doing it that way, I don't know that we'd get through Isaiah in a year. Um, but uh, I, I think that this is a fantastic way of studying. So we may not fully do it that way because this is not a Hebrew text. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that Rabbi Joe can uh, choose some parts that have become re very real to him. And we can do a, a dive uh, and, and, and learn from our Jewish brother here, as he's been talking about learning from us, that we can learn a, a different approach uh, and way of studying uh, this word together. So what's become real to you, Rabbi? Uh, where, where, what's been powerful? Where would you like to jump in? 
Well, I, I'd like to actually pick up on where you just, with that, it was a, it was a necessary foundational introduction. We, we always have to see the breadth before we can dig deeply, because we, if we don't have that broad vision, we can't understand the depth of that vision. And Jews often, we, we have our set studies that we theoretically are required to go through, and some do and some don't. We have our regular, our, we have a regular Seder, a regular order of, of studies that, that we yeah. go through. And you can't simply go on one word or one passage endlessly. We have to go through it also, not only deep, deep in, deep, deep within. But I would say it's not only a Jewish way i would say it was also the early christian way because they were all jews uh, uh, amen amen i'm, I'm not that. sure i'm not a scholar look as as you know i don't know if the audience knows i forget if you mentioned it i have a background in new testament study as far uh, as greek so I, I do study the new testament i greek. did not know that okay yeah so my greek is is uh pretty good you know, if, don't speak to me in in modern Greek because <laughs> help, yeah. but, I hear um, you. Greek is, is is decent at least. We'll say that. Uh, just don't ask me any questions that I don't know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that this is also this depth, this inner depth, is also a very early Christian practice. Again, because they were all. Jews, except for Luke. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't read the back and forth. I know they used to say he wasn't. Maybe some think he really was. I don't know. He was a doctor. Why not? Right. But uh, who knows? So as far as going in, what jumped out at me this time, and I've thought of it before, but I, I started wrestling with it and reflecting on it more this time. And maybe we could even read a few verses. Just yeah. that, that I think will will set up what I'm seeking here to to help walk us into and hopefully leave us with. So you're going to hear some page flipping, but let's start off with Romans. Oh, all right. First, first in order, but not in, in uh, history in terms of writing. So right. let's start off with Romans chapter one, verse seven. Okay, you want to read? I have King James here. Do you want to read? Sure, you can. What? Well, well, I'll. I'm here to do you it read? how I'll you want to. I'll call them out and you read, and that way I can okay. find the rest of them after each time. <clears throat> to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what? What is the one, two, three, four, first five words after the colon following the word saints? So uh, one, two, three, four, five. Peace be or grace to so you. Starting from the colon. Uh, right. So isn't that after or, or so right the after saints? the word saints. Just read yeah. the next five words. Grace to you and peace. Okay, fine. From from God our Father. But but I just want to make it simple. Grace to you yeah. and peace. Let's go to Romans 16, verse 24. Okay. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Okay. 
Let's go to first. I'm not going to do this through all of the Pauline epistles, but right. you'll get the point in a moment. Listen for repetition of themes and thoughts or words. Right. That's the hint. Let's start with 1 Corinthians verse 3. So ch chapter 1, verse 3? Yeah, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 3, yeah. Okay. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I hope we're hearing something. Yeah. That sounds similar. Let's go to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and it's actually also verse 24, just like in Romans. Slightly My love, different, but oh, similar. Yep. Okay. Or do you want to do 23 also? Fine. 23 and 24. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, I meant 23 and 24. Yes. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay. For time's sake, although it would be a wonderful just meditation to hear this over and over again, this is a common, these are common themes that begin and end basically every letter of Paul. Right. He begins with grace and peace, sometimes grace, peace, and mercy, yeah. but generally grace and peace. And he generally ends with, if not exactly grace and or sometimes love, he still, the endings always have something encouraging and hopeful yeah. and healing to offer. Yeah. And so my and, thought this time, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you could almost call those formulaic because in a way they yes, are formulaic that's beginning exactly and endings. where I was going. Oh, sorry. Yes. But yeah, but, but they're not formulaic in the way that you were talking about earlier, where this has become form without meaning. So, sorry, I didn't know that's where you're going to no, go. No. So please go there. No, no, L listen, that that's exactly, uh, maybe we should have done a few more so we could get the formula and get the repetition, which often right. turns into rote, but yeah. you're exactly right. These are formulas, but they are spirit-filled, and he means it from his heart. This is an outpouring of his spirit, of his soul, of his heart, of his love, of his dedication to those whom he is writing to. And so what I realize is often in life, when we study the sacred, probably for other things too, but our focus here is on the sacred growth, we read a text and we move on. And we don't realize that that's not just a detail, this greeting. He's actually teaching us a way to live, to walk, to greet specifically, but in a much broader way. We are here as this opening letter exemplifies here in Rome, in well, in all of them that we've done, but maybe, yeah, in Colossians 2. Let me get back to Colossians, sorry. It, since we're in Colossians. He starts off there with, in verse 2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, so what jumped out at me more powerfully, and I'm certain part of it has to do with being in the after, it's, it's the, this is the sort of result of being present at General Conference. We learn to hear more. We learn to hear more and see more. But the question that jumped out at me this morning was, this is Paul's greeting to the Colossians or to any of his other uh, groups that he was writing to in his epistles, right? Yes, but no. This is his formula that he's using, right? Yes, but no. 
the broader question for me this morning was not how is Paul greeting his fellow saints, his community, those who aren't saints, those who he struggles with. You know, in 1 Corinthians, that was just a group of holy, holy folks, right? Yeah. He still greeted them in a way that was graceful. And so the question that I realized I have to ask myself is, how am I beginning my encounter with people, with life? Am I beginning with grace? Am I beginning with gratitude? Am I beginning by coming before you with peace? Is that my opening encounter and offering to you? Not just in words. That, that means nothing. We can say grace and peace, and it means graceless and war. Okay? That's yeah. what I, this is not simply Paul greeting, although it's absolutely Paul greeting his community. But I think more in what Judaism would call the Midrashic approach. Midrash is one of our genres of literature, which seeks to understand not the surface layer, which is important or the surface level meaning, but the deeper layers that are available and always present in sacred text that we often fail to encounter or discover because we move to the next verse. So if we center our lives and our focus around a verse for a period of time, this is my life right now. How can I take this in? Well, now this isn't Paul greeting the Colossians. This is Paul instructing, guiding us. Paul was a Torah, at least a Torah-knowledgeable Jew. I don't know about his level of observance. That's a debate in the scholarly world. Was Paul a practicing or a traditional Torah-observant Jew or Book of Moses observant Jew, or yeah. did he move somewhat outside? Not worried about that, but Paul certainly knew about the idea of teaching. And Torah for us, the five books of Moses are called Torah because the rabbis understand that word to mean to teach. Hayra'a means mm -hmm. to teach. It's a teaching. So Paul isn't just writing his thoughts. He's also writing about what he's not just writing his thoughts about what he did. He's writing for us on how we are to live. And the first thing and the most important thing is, am I coming before you from the beginning with, with grace and with peace? And more importantly, how am I leaving this encounter that we're having? Is it bringing more grace and more peace? as a result of our time together. That's how Paul is framing his letters with slightly different verbiage, but it's a frame that has become a formula that is not a, it's not formulaic. It's not a series of rules. It's a way of being that is mm -hmm. coming from deep inspiration within, even if it's the same formula. It's not formulaic. It's inspirational, yeah. it's hopeful, and it's healing, but it has the potential to become formulaic. So that's my thought for this week, really. It's a thought and a, and a reference for how can I, as I open up a conversation, as I begin to engage 
with another person? Am I coming with that awareness and that heart of grace, seeking peace? And even if things along the way might become, as human events often do, tense, can I still leave offering grace and leaving things peaceful or peacefully? Can I leave at least peacefully? So these aren't formulas. These are models for life on how we should live as we greet not the Corinthians, but our fellow Utahans or our fellow Salt Lake Cityans or our, uh, what's another city? Provoians. I don't know how to say the word, but <laughs> are we coming before our fellow human being with grace and with peace? And are we leaving them with grace and with peace and with love and with light and with an awareness of God, which is ultimately our task here to make God more present in life so that we can all live more godly lives that's that's beautiful and that's that's really making the scriptures real in my opinion i mean i've i've thought of this a whole bunch of times that paul clearly loves and these are saints he hasn't even met and yet he loves them it's an authentic love he wants to edify them he wants to leave them with grace and peace and i've thought many times so oh, i need to be more like paul and and kind of focusing on the me being which is important, what we're becoming and what we're being. But I love this insight you've given me. Every time I'm meeting someone, am I approaching them because of that love yeah. in a way that I want to impart grace and peace to them and leave them that way? That's I've never considered uh, that from these letters before, and that's that's made it very that's very real. That's that's a real that's where the rubber hits the road kind of a thing, and that's that's powerful. Thank you for that. Well, here's the next question. Uh, a more painful question. I uh -oh. mean, this is a realization of what we're supposed to do, but it should be, as we reflect, somewhat disconcerting because of how often we don't bring either grace or peace mm. or leave grace or peace behind. So that that's troubling in and of itself. We can all understand, yes, this is something we should do. The bigger question is now for many of us, for all of us, first person that I'm speaking to is myself. But I think I have a an amen choir saying, yes, it's also speaking to me in your audience. Yes, I agree. That's beautiful. However, you didn't meet the person that I met yesterday. And so I have a right not to have grace or be peaceful, <laughs> or loving. So yeah. <laughs> the question is, how can we, or why don't we, why don't we live or attempt to live more fully what I think most of your community and most people of a sacred outlook probably believe? What are the barriers? Why aren't we living up or living with this Real calling. It's a calling. It's not just a greeting. It's a calling. Why aren't we? What are some of those barriers that prevent us from living more fully or seeking to live more fully? That's the bigger problem. We're not even seeking it half the day. We mm. say amen. Yes, that's beautiful. But we don't seek then to develop that as a practice. So I'm asking you now. I've spoken enough. <laughs> I'd like to hear some of your, I'll, I'll share something after I hear your thoughts possibly, but what are some of your thoughts as to why 
We simply don't, even though we all say absolutely until we yeah. meet the person. That that is a powerful and good question. And of course, I only have my own perspective to bring and and uh, an answer that I've had a few seconds to think about. Um, and so I'm sure there are lots more truths to bring to this. Uh, but I can think of a couple of things right away, and and also a couple of ideas of what we can do. I think part of it comes back to something we've been touching on uh, throughout almost since we started talking here today. Um, and it, it has to do, you may not know, my, my bachelor's is actually in psychology with a Hebrew minor. Uh, and so I'm really into how the, the brain works and social psychology and so on. But uh, our brains are designed to simplify things, um, to make our tasks easier and our day easier, right? R uh, rather than every time look at the complexity of everything. We have to kind of force that because the brain's going to say, this is a repeated task, simplify, think of it this way. That's what lets you get through the task and move on to the next one. Um, and I, we don't want to regard meeting people in the hallway, on the street, in the grocery store as a task, but our brain does. It's like, okay, this is what you're doing now. Uh, here's how you can simply get through this. And so it's easy for us when we're having these kind of metacognitive moments where we're taking a step back and looking at how we view the world and how we think about things and think about people to say, that is fantastic. And then we get in the situation and our brain just takes over again and says, what you're really here for is to buy those cans of soup on that shelf over there. And so simplify this task of interacting with this person who is in the aisle, of interacting with the waiter or interacting with the cashier or whatever else. Simplify that and don't stop and think about the complexity of it. But the complexity of it is that that cashier who you're paying for the soup cans is a child of God. And has stuff going on in their life, right? So just as an example, last night, uh, my my daughter needed me to uh, buy, help her buy some things uh, for asking someone to a dance. Anyway, so we go, um, oh, no, 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 sorry, uh, change that, editor. My daughter needed me to buy some things. Um, we, we needed to get some uh, things. She has some joint problems. And so we were getting some braces and things. And we're at the, the drugstore. And uh, I, I have the habit of always asking uh, anyone, cashier or someone on the phone or waitress or whatever, just, hey, how are you doing today? What's what's going on? And uh, this girl just said, I'm here. I guess that's about all I can say. And uh, it was pretty clear she's having a tough day. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, that's kind of a lame answer. I didn't didn't really I don't know how to respond to that answer. And that makes me uncomfortable. And I don't want to have to deal with uncomfortable and lame and get into this more. And I resisted it a little bit, but not enough. I just said, oh, sounds like things are tough. I'm sorry to hear that. Hoping to acknowledge, but not open dialogue up more because I wanted to go home and go to bed. Um, and that was my brain taking over the task rather than seeing that girl as a child of God and saying, Here's someone who just expressed to me that th this is tough and could probably use more than, than what I did not leave her with more grace and peace. I didn't take away grace and peace, I don't think, but I don't think I left her with more grace and peace because my, she was, in a way, most people we meet are objects for us rather than children of God. And, uh, and I needed to see her differently and approach that differently than I did. Yeah. Well, I have to have to call out what you just said, because 
she said, love this. She said, I'm here. Yeah. But she wasn't. Right. That's exactly right. And and here, this is this is for us. I mean, this this is calling, I'm calling out what you just called out to all of us. She said, I'm here, but she really wasn't. The question for us is, am I here? Yeah, and I wasn't. And that's the call of aid. That's that's what the great sages or saints in the Bible. He nani, here yeah. I am. Yeah. But no, I'm not. Yeah. Often. And we can't always be there. We can't. We have lives. Yeah. We and we have we have limitations. We do. But with we, we have to allow often we limit ourselves much more because we're not interested. It's a it's it's just that that's actually not just a distraction, but that's just something I don't even want to deal with. Yeah. My hope is that we can leave today with just at the beginning, the foundational sort of a foundational seed that begins to sprout. And the sprouting is, or the seed is, I can be more present when somebody else isn't able to be. Mm. Can I be more present with, and then you fill in the blank. In this case, if you start off with grace, sometimes, not always, you will be see, received. Very often we're rebuffed, period. And yeah. we can't help that. But how did we start and how did we leave? Am I here? Many of us in life, all of us in life, in fact, are often not here, even though we're in the pews or we're before another person, but we're somewhere else. So my my hope for making this a part of our lives not just this week because it's our weekly reading but what we can leave with from this weekly reading one you got to take one or two key key points and next year take one or two different key points and right. keep working and walking with them throughout the year and that is can i be here with in this case more grace and more peace or sometimes his greetings are mercy sometimes he ends with love sometimes he ends with grace but can i be here and can i leave here with more grace and love and peace and mercy at least can that be an awareness i begin to develop because it begins with awareness and once we begin to cultivate that awareness and nurture that awareness it will sprout and it may even harvest in our lives a beautiful future of relational intimacy that we never realized was possible because we weren't here we weren't present and we weren't present in a way that allowed us to encounter the presence of the other who also wasn't present they were there but they weren't present yeah. And how can we call us into that interrelationship, that interpresence? We first, somebody has to be present, and it's a risk, and we can be rebuffed. But it is a place that I do want to root more deeply into. And that only comes by rooting into the text, and not just reading the text, and starting off with, look at, I see it in, in 
you spoke of the Catholic Church earlier and your some of your difficulties initially until you mm -hmm. understood there's something very profound here. Mm -hmm. Look, at, I happen. I'm, I'm not a Christian. Forget not Catholic. I'm just not Christian. I remember until I began reflecting more on the nature of the Eucharist and Catholic thought, which is very different from every, well, not so yeah. much Eastern Orthodox and some high church Christians maybe, but in general, Protestant thought yeah. as more the Eucharist or the communion is much more symbolic mm -hmm. as opposed to the literal blood and body of Jesus. And, and I, until I began to reflect on it, again, I reflected deeply what I, into what I felt was the root and I read about the root of the Eucharist, it didn't uproot me into, yes, it is his blood and body, the bread and the wine, but it did root me into something very profound in terms of the nature of the encounter that is supposed to be internalized through the Eucharist. And so uh, my, my, my hope is that, I think I lost my thought, but I think my focus was unless we begin to really reflect into something very profound, I think that's what I was trying to get at. We're never going to see the depth within, and it's just going to be a formula that we recite. And mm -hmm. grace and peace and mercy and love, which is how he begins and ends his letters, <clears throat> can never end up being a formula or a rule. That's I would say that borders on blasphemy against another person and also against these divine witnesses. Love is a witness of the divine. And if we are not offering love or if we're offering love in a casual, formulaic way, you're doing that in the name of God. Mm -hmm. That is in some way, minimally, nothing, it's not blasphemy against the spirit proper of the, of the New Testament, but it is some form of, it's certainly not honoring of the God of love and the God of mercy and the God of grace. And if we are to live those ideals on this plane, then we have to be more aware and practice and cultivate that idea and that way of grace. And we have to understand what grace means, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, and of love and of mercy and of peace. We have to understand what they mean, at least historically in their mind before we begin to develop our own thoughts we need our own thoughts but we also need to be grounded and rooted in the past so my my hope for this week and the weeks that follow is that our greetings and our partings leave us with more grace and more peace and more love and more mercy and that's our practice that's our practice, and that's the blessing that we can bring into this world as children of the one that we owe to each other because we are all children of that one. That's mm. that's my, my parting thought for you and for me and for all of us. That's that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And I, I couldn't I couldn't I'll just say amen. <laughs> amen. I'll say amen Hopefully. too. All right. I'll say amen too. And <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll touch base on on Colossians again in in four years and ah, sounds see how great. We did. <laughs> sounds see how great. We did. Maybe we'll we'll get to verse three then. So, um, <laughs> uh, so sounds good. That's that's what I love though. And actually, I mean, 
I, I considered saying, okay, well, let's do verse three. But then as I looked at that, well, that's like about a 40 minute discussion at least so at minimum. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll not do it. So uh, instead, I think, I think next you've, um, yeah, next time. Uh, uh, I think you've just given us some wonderful things to think over. And, uh, and I hope that uh, our audience has been edified that they uh, have left with uh, a spirit imparted desire to impart grace and peace and and love and to to be present and help others be present I, that's just a beautiful thing that i hope has come to everyone and i hope that if this has come to you our audience uh that you'll not only share that in action that you'll do those things but that maybe you'll share these thoughts and these ideas with some of your friends either uh, talk to them about what you've heard or share the podcast with them uh, you could uh, also uh, do the the likes and the comments or uh, on like Apple podcasts, do reviews and leave stars and that kind of a thing that helps more people. Uh, I'm learning about this. I'm getting good at this. So uh, uh, that helps more people be able to have the word. And and uh, the, the rabbi and I didn't get together. Well, we would have had a good time just getting together, the two of us talking. But we did it this way because we hope it can reach as many people as possible. And we need you to help us reach as many people as possible so that they can be blessed by the the spirit that I've felt as I've visited with uh, Rabbi Charnas. So uh, thank you, Rabbi. And thanks to our audience. And we hope you all, uh, well, I'll, I'll end it this way. We hope that you all not only have a, a great day and week, but that you go with grace and peace and with our love. And I mean that. Amen. I'll, I'll leave you with amen. Amen. <laughs>